O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Those are verses 1 through 6 of Psalm 139, which along with Psalm 138 are the psalms appointed for today, Saturday, September the 10th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. I appreciate it. We are um, continuing our look at the book of Job. Now we're going to get God's response to Job and his friends. Uh, also in John's Gospel, chapter 11, verses 45 to 54, and in the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 15, verses 22 to 35. So after Job and his friends have all spoken and given their theological statements on Job's predicament, now God shows up. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Hmm? Who is it? Who is it that's speaking here about things they know nothing about? They have opinions, but, well, we know what opinions are like. He continues, dress for action like a man. Put on your big boy pants. I'll question you, and you make it known to me. So I'm going to ask you some questions. You wanted to put me in the dock so that you could ask me questions and make your statement about how everything works and and why things are not the way they ought to be and how if you were in charge it would all be different now put on your big boy pants and let's talk a little bit where where were you when i laid the foundation of the earth tell me if you have understanding you know so much let's go ahead and 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 have this discussion come on who determined its measurements surely you know or who stretched the line upon it or what were its bases sunk or who laid its cornerstone, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. It's talking about the angels. Uh, the sons of God refers to the angels. So where were you? I don't remember seeing you there at creation. I remember the angels being there. But I don't remember you being there, big boy. <clears throat> or who shut in the seas with doors when it burst out from the womb? In other words, who set the boundaries of the seas? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far shall you come and no farther, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? It's changed like clay under the seal. And its features stand out like a garment. From their wicked, the, the wicked, their light is withheld, and their uplifted arm is broken. Have you entered into the springs of the sea, or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you, or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Notice what God's saying is, is that um, before you have opinions about how the earth should operate and how life should operate on earth, perhaps... It would be best if if you knew a little more. Perhaps it would be best if, well, you could tell me all about creation and my intentions for creation. You see my power. You've acknowledged my power. But don't you think along with that comes not only knowledge but wisdom? You know, there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Wisdom is applied knowledge. It's, It's 
the difference between knowing the right thing and doing the right thing. That's wisdom. Wisdom is doing the right thing. Knowledge is knowing the right thing. What do you do with the knowledge you have? You apply it and make better decisions and make better judgments. And Job, you're going to need to know an awful lot more because the answers to your questions requires you to know everything because it's all related and interconnected with one another. Our lives are that interconnected. It's what they call the butterfly effect. Um, and, but it's also things like the Goldilocks effect, which is that, that it requires about, you know, tons and tons of constants in the universe to produce the kind of life we enjoy. And so what God's getting at here is, is to say, Job, you have a lot of questions, and really you have just a lot of opinions. Your knowledge is incredibly limited. So your ability to understand and reason to the question of why with respect to anything, is nil. It's absolutely nil. Your ability to reason through a situation and say, this is why this happens, is so limited to be unimaginable. It requires a knowledge of not just creation, but it, it requires a knowledge of why those boundaries for the sea were set. Why are all things the way they are? There's a purposeful creation. It's not random. It's not, it is completely by design. And it is exactly the way it was designed to operate given human beings being placed into the system with the knowledge we were going to muck it up. And so it's important that we, that we get our heads around this. When we start asking God why questions... Why is this this way? The, the answer is way more complicated than we can ever imagine because everything is connected with one another. And so it's difficult to, to separate out say, and say why regarding any given question. If you're talking about human motives, it's impossible for me to imagine why somebody would do a certain thing. And even if they told me their motive... I'd still be left puzzled unless it matched up with the way I thought about the world and what I would have done in that situation. And so here, God's response to, to Job is, is that, that the answer to your question would require you to understand everything from, the, from before creation all the way to now. So that's the beginning of God's response to Job, and it's going to continue. He's just going to build on this. In the passage in the gospel today remember what's just happened is is that that jesus has just raised lazarus from the dead and so the question of why did lazarus die why did jesus not come when he was called is summed up in so he waited two days to go and do anything about it so why did he wait two days because well there's a greater thing getting ready to happen and that is the raising of Lazarus from the dead, as opposed to healing Lazarus from his sickness. So many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done, sort of like the guy in uh, John 5 at the pool at Bethesda that Jesus heals. And what does he do? As soon as he finds out Jesus' name, he goes and tells them who it was. And he knew they were searching for him for nefarious reasons, that they wanted to criticize him and make him out to be a sinner because he did this work on the Sabbath and then caused this man to then sin by carrying his bed on the Sabbath. And so that that's essentially what's happened here. They didn't go and tell the Pharisees 
completely uh, with, with uh, motives that were pure, let's say. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we going to do? This man performs many signs. Well, I'm not quite sure why this man performing many signs, like raising somebody from the dead, really necessitates you to figure out what you're going to do about it. You know, it does in the sense of, are you going to believe that he is who he says he is? But for you to take action on that is just to believe. It says, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. Yes. And what's the problem with that, right? And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Romans going to spank because Jesus is not coming in and not, not building an army and, and doing all those kinds of things. No, that's, that's not the issue. The issue is, is that we're going to lose our places of authority and respect in, in the world if we allow him to continue like this. I'm sorry, this guy is healing the sick, restoring sight to the blind, and restoring dead men to life. If we let him go on like this, in other words, if we permit him to continue to do these kinds of signs and wonders, it's going to create a problem for us. But, but at what level is it that you think you're allowing him to do anything? It makes no sense. And, and this is what I was getting at in, in a previous discussion about um, people can give you their motives for things and you can look and think, well, huh, that's bizarre. And that's what this is. What, what's the motive? The motive is we're going to lose our place if we allow him to continue to do the things that he's doing. Well, he's God. Let's, <laughs> he gave you your position. Why not rather believe in him? Because believing in him means I have to take a step down in the pecking order. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, which is exactly what God said to Job, right? Caiaphas doesn't know anything either. Nor do you understand that it's better for you that one man should die for the people than that the whole nation should perish. Come on, let's make a simple calculation. Let's give him over to the Romans. Just one guy, what difference does it make? Well, if that one guy's the Messiah, it might make a pretty big difference. If we gave him over to the Romans and had him kill him, that might not be a good thing. But they're not worried about that. They're not even thinking that. Other people are believing in him, but not them. Heavens, no. The leaders are not going to believe. No. We have too much at stake, too much at risk, and the people don't. He didn't say this, John says, of his own accord, this whole better for you that one man should die for the people than the whole nation should perish. He said he didn't say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. So he's an unwitting and unwilling prophet. In spite of the fact that he doesn't believe in Jesus is to be the Son of God, he doesn't believe any of the claims that Jesus has made. He has no earthly idea that this one man dying for the people is the most important thing that's ever happened in the history of the world. And so he just thinks we're going to put him to death, and that's better than putting all these people to death, right? The Ro- which was what they think the Romans would do. The Romans don't even care. It's not troubling the Romans in the least. But it is, however, troubling the Jewish leaders because he threatens to usurp their place and the affections and the respect of the people. And he's not one of them. So he he speaks prophetically 
in, in that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who were scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, and he stayed there with his disciples. So he, he, the time had not yet come, but it was coming soon, even though they didn't know it at the time. They didn't know how furious the Pharisees and the council would be over the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Seems an odd thing to get furious about, doesn't it? Seems a very strange thing, a very odd reaction to raising a man from the dead was to say, well, we got to put him to death. Very odd reaction. Makes no sense, does it? Yeah, well, I've seen similar kinds of reactions and decisions and ideas based on hatred or jealousy. I've seen it in the church. I've seen it at the level of bishop and priest. I've seen it at every level. In the passage from Acts, it says, Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church. To, these are the people in Jerusalem now. Remember what's happened here is, is that, that a group of people have come from Antioch and, and that area where Paul had just been on his missionary journey. They've come from Antioch and gone back to Jerusalem and, and told on <laughs> Paul and Barnabas that they've extended grace to the Gentiles and they haven't asked them to be circumcised. And so this this controversy arose in in Antioch, and, and then they come to Jerusalem to get clarity on it, and it requires Paul and Barnabas to go and make a defense. And James has decided what ought to happen here. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. Greetings. Now, that's a big step. Just that beginning is huge. From the brothers to the brothers who are Gentiles. So they're making no distinction among the brothers in Jerusalem who are Jews, typically, and the brothers who are in Antioch and those areas where Paul has been, they call them brothers in both things. They call themselves brothers, and then to reinforce it, they say, to the brothers who are among the Gentiles. So we're clear that everybody here are brothers. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, we gave them, although we gave them no instructions. So in other words, we know that people have come to you and they've stirred things up out there. But, but know this, we didn't tell them this. They were not speaking for us. So it, it, because of that, it seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. In, in other words, we've sent representatives from here so that you can know for sure what we think. You don't have to get it secondhand from Barnabas and Paul. No, we're sending some of us to communicate this to you. These are men who have risked their, talking about Paul and Barnabas, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We've therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will accompany Paul on his journeys going forward, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. So here's a letter, but these guys, if you want further explanation, we sent these guys along. 
for it seemed good. Now, remember before it says, see, because, because these people have troubled you, it seemed good to us that we, do, that we send the letter and these guys. Now, but because it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. And so what they're saying is we believe that this is the Holy Spirit speaking through us. We thought it was a good idea to send Paul uh, or to send uh, Judas and and, uh, Silas to you along with a letter, but it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. So we believe this is the mind of God that led us to the conclusion to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what's been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what's been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. Now, if you want to know exactly what those things mean, that, that they, they've laid on them, then go back and listen to yesterday's podcast because I define all of that and, and why those things would be um, things you would, would abstain from and, and why that would apply to the Gentiles particularly, why these things would be laid on the Gentiles rather than a great many other things. So that, that discussion is from yesterday. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because, because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. So in other words, thank you. We appreciate it very much. You've added a lot to us. You, you can go now. You can go back home. We, you've, you've, you've accomplished the purpose for which you were sent. It's okay if you want to go now. So they did. They went back to Jerusalem, but Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. So there's a group and a band that are there. And so what's happening here is is that the, the New Testament church is doing its job. It sought the mind of the Lord, cooperated with it, and then informed others what that would be. And so they have said, we're not, we're not smart enough to understand on our own. There's not, there's not enough—Jesus didn't give us instructions on how to bring the Gentiles in. We don't know how to do that. So we've sought the mind of the Lord, and, and the Holy Spirit has said to us, only these things need to be troubling the people that you're bringing in. Now, again, the thing that I'm going to have to say, the big caveat for me— is, is that there's a lot of law that, that would need to be taught and understood and explained and how that would apply in the Gentile context in Christianity. And all that's in the Old Testament. This group of people believed that they were the last generation. They believed that Jesus was coming in their lifetimes. So the decision they made was to say, let's keep it real simple for these folks. Let, let's not... Let's not have to go through all this other stuff. And so are, are those things still the only things that apply to us? Are, are those the only parts of the law that we need to deal with? No, obviously not. There's way more than that. <laughs> There's things like murder and theft and covetousness and all that. All the things that Jesus affirmed, we need to affirm as well. And so we, we've got to consider what does it mean? To do this, but what, the reason they gave these three things was these were most important in context. All these were things they could have transgressed very easily. It seemed uh, certainly appropriate to give them those particular things because other things had been baked into the pie, as it were, of the culture in Rome. You know, theft, um, murder, false witness—all those things were baked into the pie already 
in, in a way that they were not when the nation was formed. So it's, it's critical that they know these things and avoid these things in the context of their lives. All the other things are already, quote, illegal, with the exception of things like coveting. So there's, there's a lot that has to be taught, but these are the only things that they've said, these are really, really important. You know, you, these, are, these are super important, and you, you guys need to be aware of this, because in your daily life, it probably has seemed normal to you in many ways, but, it, but it's not okay. It's not okay with God. We know the mind of God, and we know these things are things you need to, to be aware of and, and that you need to put in the past, and you need to judge as wrong in ways that you have never judged as wrong before. They were just indifferent things. So it's important that we, that we understand the mind of God. It's important that we search the mind of God, that we spend time in prayer, and we ask him these things. It's not wrong to ask the question why. Just know that the answer to the question of why is it's way more complicated than you can ever imagine. And so God keeps it simple for us sometimes and gives us the simplest possible answer, and only later will we see the fullness of the implications of everything that has happened.